talking with some of the staff today, and it really got me to thinking this week, what, what happens, do you think, when spiritual leaders don't do their job? What, what do you think if, uh, what happens, those who are entrusted to lead and model faithfulness, what happens if they don't? If you want to know what it looks like, look no further than the people of God in the time of Malachi. It was 70 years out of captivity. They returned to the promised land, hoping and anticipating to head back to the glory years of their life. After 70 years, they were expecting their economy to be booming, their churches to be full, their hearts to be joyful. They're expecting safety and community, respect in the world. That's what they're expecting. But after 70 years, they didn't have any of it. Their economy was lacking. Their faith was struggling. Their children were in danger. And of course, they began to blame everything else. They would blame God, they would blame culture, they would blame politics, they blame economists. But what if the problem wasn't with any of them? What if the problem was a little closer to home? That's the message of Malachi. As the people of God were disenfranchised with their life and struggling to understand why God isn't doing everything that they had hoped, God sent a prophet, a prophet Malachi, to talk to his people. And he didn't talk to them about politics. He didn't talk to them about economy. He didn't talk to them about the immorality of their culture. He talked to them about their lives. And it was one message. When everything's said and done, it's a call of God to rekindle their heart to the Lord. I'd like to invite you to uh, join me in the book of Malachi. It's fairly easy to find. It's the very last book of the Old Testament. So you just turn there. You can go to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and just flip to the left a little bit. The book of Malachi, chapter 1. While you're turning there, I want to do one last pitch for our sermon guides. Our, our staff and our church leaders, we produce these sermon guides, every sermon series of every, uh, every time, and we produce them in three formats. And we do this for you. We do this, number one, so you can have a place to keep notes. When God brings something to your mind, when you're convicted of something or a question pops up, write it down. Because if you're like me, tomorrow's going to come and you're not going to remember what happened today. The second thing it's here for, there's great introductory information to help you understand more of the history of the time that this book was written. And third, it gives questions at the end. Because our belief is if you really want to rekindle your heart to the Lord and you want to have him transform your life, it takes more than one hour on Sunday. It takes time throughout the week as well. And so these questions are here for you to go through them on your own, for you to go through them with a small group, with friends at work. And if you don't have any of those, you know, Pastor Jeff and I lead a group Wednesday night right here, seven o'clock. And we just, we try to get to the questions after we answer some of your questions as well. Uh, if you would like one of these sermon guides in paper format, uh, last Sunday I was pretty quick at it and maybe you didn't get a chance. So just raise your hand and our church leaders would be more than happy to bring those, bring one over to you. Just raise your hand. There's one over here. Uh, just raise it loud and proud. One over here as well. Um, just keep them up. They'll find you. Uh, 
But if you're like, Brian, I don't need another thing to carry, you can download the entire format off the webpage at www. Or you don't need the www, do you? <laughs> it's my age. cvcchurch.org, you go to, or you can just use the Google, right? I know that's another old thing. Um, or you can always download our church app as well and look for the sermon tab down at the bottom. Now, last week, we began the message of Malachi, and we said that God calls it an oracle. It's an oracle from the heart of God. Again, that term oracle, it's a term used to describe something that is a burden, something that's been weighing heavily on the heart of God. And God said, this is an oracle. This is something deep and personal at my heart. This is something that's just been burdening me. And then it says, it's not only an oracle of God, but it became an oracle of Malachi. Not only was this something that was a burden to God, but then God worked in Malachi to where it became a burden of Malachi. So now both of them have this burning desire to communicate something to the people of God. And the oracle of God began with a simple message. God's love is everlasting. God has always loved you. Malachi told the people, God has always loved you throughout history. Even in the midst of your present, when you were being sinful, when you were being rebellious, in the hard times and the good times, God has always loved you. But after five verses of reminding them about God's devotion to them, God now turns his attention. Instead of talking about himself, he begins talking about them. That's where we're going to pick up our story. Malachi chapter one, starting at verse six, this is what God says. He says this, he said, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where's my honor? If I am a master, where's my respect, says the Lord of hosts, O priests who despise my name. So after spending five verses of God saying, look, I've always loved you. I have protected you. I've provided for you. I've done amazing things in your midst Where's my respect? You respect your fathers, you respect, you respect your bosses. Where is my respect? First truth of this passage, God deserves respect. He said, a son honors his father, a servant his master. Where's my honor? A term honor, it's used to describe the credit that is due to someone, to recognize the splendor and excellence of another, to acknowledge someone's input someone's effort, someone's gift in your life. You know, on my bookcase, I talk a lot about my grandfather on my bookcase. I have this picture. It was when I was graduating high school. I know I look the same, just with a little more hair. <laughs> but I love this picture because it reminds me of the impact my grandfather had. You know, when I decided that God was calling me into ministry, my grandpa took the next number of years to pour into me. I am who I am today, much because of my grandfather. There's been a number of people who have poured into my life, but this picture remains on my bookcase because it's a position of honor where I recognize and remember I am here because of God's mercy and grace, but I am also here because of what God did in my life through my grandfather. In the same way, God is saying, I want you to recognize, priests, what I've done. I want you to recognize what I've poured into you. I want you to recognize how I have invested my life into you. He says, where is my honor? 
And he says also, he says, where's my respect? He wants them to recognize his power, his authority. A term respect, where's my fear? Where's the reality that you recognize that I could wipe you out and turn you into a grease spot with a spoken word, but instead I choose to give you compassion and mercy. God says, why do you take advantage of me? God simply wants these leaders to recognize his greatness and to treat him accordingly. You've become too familiar. God says, I deserve respect. And again, we're going to see a lot of big biblical buts in this passage because then, again, in our heads, we're thinking their people are going to turn around and say, oh my gosh, God, I didn't know. I didn't know that we weren't giving you respect. What do you want us to do, God? We love you. We respect you. How should we change? But instead, look at their response. They say, how have we despised your name? What do we do? We show up every Saturday. We put money in the little offering thing. We show up and do all your outdated sacrificial stuff. Hey, you're lucky we show up. We're showing up. There's just this defiant attitude. Is there wondering what's going on? How come our life isn't right? God's saying, where's my respect? Where's my honor? But you say, how have we despised your name? That term despise, by the way, means to spoil. It means to put Rotten produce. Man, you're just wrecking everything, God says. Man, I had this amazing plan throughout history. I built into you, I poured into you, I protected you, and now you're ruining everything. The people say, how? And that's where we come to our second truth. Number one, God deserves respect. But second, God demands authenticity. Look at verse 7. He said, you're presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? How have we ruined you? How have we spoiled your plan? Is that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. Look at verse 8. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, it is not evil. When you present the lame as sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Now, in order to understand that next position, you need to understand sacrifice. Sacrifice is a bloody and vicious portrait of the cost of sin. It's a gruesome practice to help draw attention to the cost of sin. Because of our failure, because of our brokenness, something innocent needs to die. There needs to be blood shed and poured out on the altar. It's supposed to help us recognize the cost of sin. The wages of sin is death. And the gift of God of compassion, mercy, and grace. But God had some rules about the sacrifice. Look at what he said in Deuteronomy. He said this, talking about the sacrifice, that if it has any defect, such as lameness or blindness or any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. God said, here's the thing about the sacrifice. It needs to be perfect. No flaw, 
no blemish, no disease. It needs to be the prized possession of the herd. Just since we're already in the Old Testament, let's go to another book, the book of Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible, third book of the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 22. I want you to read it. And again, sometimes I want to take you to these passages because I want you to know where they are in your, in your text. When you're thinking, oh, Brian talked about that at some point. Highlight it, draw a star by it, circle it, whatever you want to do. Draw your attention to it. Leviticus chapter 22, verse 17. Listen to the direction of God regarding these sacrifices. It's very specific, very clear. Leviticus 22, verse 17. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the sons of Israel and say to them, Any man of the house of Israel or of the aliens in Israel who presents his offering, whether it is anything, any of their votive or any of their freewill offerings which they present to the Lord for a burnt offering for you to be accepted, it must be a male without defect from the cattle, the sheep or the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer it for it will not be accepted for you, right? Very clear from God. And then he even goes on, when a man offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or a free will offering to the, of the herd or of the flock, it must be perfect to be accepted. Those that are blind, fractured or maimed, have a running sore, eczema, scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord, nor make them an offering by fire on the altar of the Lord. God's very clear. If you want to be heard, if you want me to honor your prayer and your sacrifice, it needs to be perfect. No flaws, no issues. Now let's go back to the book of Malachi. God says, where's my, where's my respect? Said, you're offering me blind when you present lame and sick. Isn't it evil? That term evil, by the way, they're trying to pass something fake off as authentic. They're trying to pass them off that they know isn't good enough, but they're trying to somehow bury it under all the spices and hope you don't notice. You know, there was a time in my life when Gretchen tried to do evil things. <laughs> it was years and years ago where butter was replaced with, I can't believe it's not butter, spray. That was, it was with good intentions, but let me tell you, there's no faking it. That's not butter. Turkey bacon isn't bacon. It sizzles different. It smells different. It tastes different. You can put all the chili spices you can. You put grilled turkey, ground turkey in my chili, I notice. You can't hide that evil stuff in the midst of spices and think I won't notice. See, the same thing the people of God were doing. They're bringing their half-hearted uh, sacrifices they're just going through the motions. They're given the bare minimum and they're hoping God doesn't notice. God says, not only do I deserve respect, I demand authenticity. 
Look what he says. He says, verse 9, after they're bringing all these sickly sacrifices, he says, but now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to you? Like you think you're going to bring some sickly, diseased animal, offer it to me, God says, and you think I'm going to respond with favor? You want to know why things are broken down in your culture? It's not the politicians, God says. It's not the economists. It's not the sinners. It's you. God says, it's you. Now, you're going to come to me with your half-hearted worship and expect that I honor it? Oh, look at verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire in my altar. God says, I'm not pleased with you. When God says, I'm not pleased with you, that's Bible talk for I'm ticked. And here's how upset he is for the people of God. He's like, you know what? I wish there was one leader in the midst of you who would have the guts to shut the whole operation down. By the way, that term shut down means to do more than just close them off for a period of renovation. It means to close them, lock them, and give the key back to God. Surrender your access. Just give it the charade. Close it down, lock it up, turn around, give back the keys. Man, God says it would be better if you just stopped it all. Shut the gates. Close down the whole operation, that's better than uselessly kindling fire. That term useless, it means to describe something that's out of favor with God. It lacks direction. It lacks God's direction. It lacks God's purposes. It lacks God's power. God says, man, you ever feel, he's talking to the people of God, you ever feel like you're just doing all this work and for some reason God's not behind it? Ever feel like you're praying for God's favor and blessing and it never comes? Said, listen, you guys are spinning your wheels. You might as well just shut the whole thing down. My direction isn't in your midst. My purposes are not being accomplished. My power is not evidence. And my presence isn't there. God begins this oracle, something deep in his heart. He begins with telling the people of God, I have always loved you. Then he turns his attentions to the priests, to the spiritual leaders of the people. Saying, you want to know what the problem is, it's not them out there. It's you in here. He goes to spiritual leaders, I deserve your respect. And I demand your authenticity. Doesn't do any good to pray to me if you're not going to give me what I deserve. You might be thinking to yourself, oh, well, Brian, this is a great sermon. I'm not a priest, so it doesn't apply to me. Let me burst your bubble for a moment, can I? Look at the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 2 said, you're a chosen race. He's talking to the church. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, 
a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He says this, he continues, he said, you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You would not receive mercy, but now you have. Peter's message to the church is you are priests. In fact, you have more in your life than they had in theirs. Those priests, they didn't have the Holy Spirit, you do. One priest, once a year, had direct access to God. One priest, once a year. Everyone who claims Jesus as their Lord and Savior has direct access to him today. These priests had to move forward in faith and confidence, hoping that one day God would open their eyes and accomplish his plan and let them see it. We know God's plan. We know God's power. We've accepted God's purposes in our lives. So if you're reading the book of Malachi and thinking, oh, well, phew, this is God talking to priests. My question for you is, do you think these are similar things that God can say to us? Do do we approach God with too much familiarity? Do we offer God our best? Or do we offer God our leftovers? See, these priests were giving to God things that they wouldn't give their neighbors. They're coming to church. They're coming to the temple to offer their sacrifice and their worship and their praise and they're bringing sacrifices that they wouldn't offer their boss, but they'll offer it to the king of all creation. God says, I'm done with it. I deserve better. I deserve your respect. And I demand your authenticity. Here's the third one. God desires sacrifice. God desires your response. You might say, well, Brian, what's that look like? What are we supposed to do? I'm not asking you to bring your perfect lambs, your most prized possession, your most prized animal. We're not bringing Fred to church. Fred's our Yorkie. (laughs) So let me share three things of what God desires from you. Again, I think we have a lot in common with the people of God during the days of Malachi. I think many Christians are disenfranchised with life. We're worried about culture. We're concerned about the economy. We complain about the corruption. We worry about the immorality. But as so much of our focus is on them out there, do you think it's time to draw attention to our own hearts? See, I wonder, maybe the problem isn't with God. Maybe he hasn't abandoned us in Southern California. Maybe we have abandoned him. What are three ways that we can respond to the Lord? Three aspects of sacrifice. Let me just give you three. And for those of you who are Bible scholars, this is not an exhaustive list. But let me give you three. Number one, God desires a sacrifice of your heart. God isn't pleased with you showing up at church on Sundays, 
stressed out, falling asleep, not really into it, just here out of compulsion so you can check your list and head off to your day. Let me tell you what God really wants. Psalm 51, one of my favorite psalms, if you're not familiar with it, it's a psalm of King David. After a period of sin in his life that cost him dearly, Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance, restoration, and reconciliation with God. These are some of the words of King David, Psalm 51, 15 and 17. Look what David came to at the end of his psalm. He said, O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. He continues and he says, the sacrifices of God, look at this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. David says, God, I know what you want first and foremost. You're not interested in sacrifices, sickly animals or perfect animals. What you want most of all is my heart. My broken heart recognizing my sin, my failure, my brokenness. A contrite heart of humility going to God, recognizing that he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness and give you restoration and communion with God. It's all been paid through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. King David said, God, I know what you want. God, yeah, you deserve our respect. You demand authenticity. Well, what's that look like, Brian? What's that look like for us? Number one, sacrifice of your heart. Broken spirit, contrite heart, humble before the Lord, allowing his spirit to lead you and guide you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. First thing, if you want to respond to God today, first thing, sacrifice of your heart. Here's another one. Sacrifice of praise. Look at what uh, the book of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 13. I have it on the screen for you. Hebrews 13, 15. Look at what Hebrews says. It says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And then he defines it. Isn't that great? What's that mean? What's a sacrifice of praise? The fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Man, you want to give God what he's due? Recognize his goodness, his provision, his protection. Man, everywhere throughout your life, praise his name. Thank him for his work. Thank him for his work in your life and through your life. Go through life. Man, stop taking credit for everything. Everything we have here as a church is from God. Everything that you've been able to earn for your family, it's from the Lord. Everything that your children achieve as the work of God in their lives. And go through life recognizing and giving praise and glory to God. You want to know how to respond to God, how to give Him respect, how to give Him the honor that He's due. Sacrifice of your heart. Sacrifice of praise. Here's the third one. Sacrifice of life. Next verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 16, continues, says, talking about sacrifices, he says, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. 
Let's keep that verse on the screen there for a minute. Doing good and sharing. That phrase, doing good, is intended to describe the activity of your life being used as an instrument of worship in everything you do, in word or deed. Do it in a way that brings glory to God. Husbands, the way that you love your wives. Do it in a way that brings glory to God. Wives, the way you pursue your husbands. Do it in a way that brings glory to God. Parents, the way that you disciple your kids. Do it in a way that brings glory to God. Grandparents, pursue your family, your children, and your grandchildren. Even when they roll their eyes, do it as an instrument of worship because it brings glory to God. Forgive others when the world slanders your name. Forgive them. Why? Because your life is an instrument of worship. You're doing good. That phrase, doing good, living a life that reflects Jesus in every aspect of your life and everything that you do in word or deed, do it for the glory of God. There's one last thing in this verse. He says, not only don't, don't stop doing good, but don't stop sharing. The term sharing from the Greek word koinonia describes intimate fellowship in the body of Christ. And you want to give God what he deserves? You want to know the sacrifices that God desires in your life? Stop neglecting connecting with the people of God here. What does God desire from you? What does God demand? God wants the sacrifice of your heart. He wants the sacrifice of praise each and every day. He wants the sacrifice of your life. Investing in the body of Christ. Serving one another. Loving one another. Forgiving one another. You want to see God pleased with your life and your ministry. Give him what he demands. Give him what he deserves. I know you might think that's never going to happen, Brian. It's never going to work. This is just one of those sermons. It's never going to come to fruition. Look at this, verse 4. Or I'm sorry, verse 11. Malachi 1, verse 11. We'll close with this. For from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name. And a grain offering that is pure, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God says there will come a time. There will come a time where God gets what he deserves. I believe that's talking about the end times, at the very end, when all the world recognizes every knee will bow, every time we'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But until then, may he experience that here. As I said before, I think we have a lot in common with the people of God in the days of Malachi. 
They're disenfranchised with their life. They're worried about their future. They're angry about their present. They're buried by the failures of their past. And we love to focus our attention on complaining to God about all of them out there. The book of Malachi is an oracle of God. It's a presentation. It's a message of God with a request. For the next couple weeks, let's stop focusing so much on them out there. Let's focus on any, us in here. Are you giving God what he deserves? And he has loved you. He has pursued you. He sent his son to die for you. What he desires is for you to accept that gift and then live your life as a reflection of him as an instrument of praise and worship. I think it's fruitless for us to give God something empty and expect God to do works of power in our midst as a result. I think it's fruitless to come to God with something that's haphazard, something that's minimalistic, something that is empty and fruitless and expect God to restore our marriages, to revive our families, to reach our kids and transform our culture if we truly want to see God do a work, perhaps. It needs to start within his church and our lives and our hearts. My question for you, what is it that you need to sacrifice to God today? Right now, what is it you need to sacrifice? Maybe it is your heart. Maybe you've been defiant for far too long, rebellious or just too busy to give God what he's due. Maybe it's time to give God your heart. Maybe it's time to give God his respect in your life, to acknowledge him in your business, to resurrect his name in your home, to be spoken out of the words of your mouth. Or maybe it's, maybe you need to offer him your own life here. Maybe it's time to plug in and invest to allow the riches that all God has given you, your time, your talents, your treasure, invest it here in confidence that God has a plan and he will complete it in your life and in mine. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come here this morning. God, many of us God, many of us were here because we believe in your name. And we would say that we claim your sacrifice. We desire your work in our hearts and in our lives, in our marriages, in our homes. But God, if, if we're honest, we need to confess something to you today. God, many of us approach our relationship with you as too familiar. God, we're lackadaisical and we, 
We offer you something less than you deserve. We take credit for much of the power that you have done within our lives. And we don't offer you what you expect. So God, I pray you convict our hearts. God, our prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we're tired of building our kingdom and fighting others for theirs. God, unify us in one heart that we're less about our kingdoms and more about yours. God, we pray, give us our daily bread and help us to be content with what you've given. And God, we pray that in our contentment that we would even be so bold as to give something back to you. God, we pray that you would forgive us our failures of this last week. God, so many of us, we get so busy in the struggles of our life, we forget about you until Sunday. God, forgive us of our reckless faith, of our rebellious hearts, of the selfishness that still exists and the greed that we have in our lives. God, we ask that you forgive us of all of those. Restore to us the joy of salvation. Open our eyes, allow us to see the work of your hand in our lives. Rekindle our heart for you. God, forgive us of our failures, and God, we commit to you that we will work hard this week to forgive those who have wronged us. God, we ask, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, do a work in our lives. Protect us from doing something stupid that would jeopardize our families, our ministry, our homes, your reputation at work here. And God, give us faith. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the only glory that we see, God. God, may you build that prayer in our heart. May you build that prayer in our life. May you build in us a heart to give you what you deserve right now. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen.